You are live with Get Connected. Andy Barrar here, missing Mike Egabo today, this morning. He was actually flying in from Toronto and was supposed to arrive this morning. However, with the uh, weather that we're having here in Vancouver and the snow, and of course, we're not used to the snow, uh, his flight was a little bit delayed. So Mike's actually on his way to the radio show right now. But have no fear, because Andy's here and the show will go on. We got an excellent show for you today. Later on, we're going to be talking about Kickstarter, the crowdfunding source that is opening up its first international office here in Canada and in Vancouver specifically. So we're going to be talking to Shane Dingman from the Global Mail to learn all about that. They actually acquired a Canadian startup and that was based out in South Africa. At first, the, the founders were from South Africa. So that's going to open up a whole discussion about the immigration for entrepreneurs and how the Trump administration in the U.S. might be a boom for the Canadian tech sector with a lot of people now wanting to move their offices here into Canada. So we'll learn a little bit more about that in the show. Of course, Christina will be here with her app of the week and we will go open line to take some of your tech calls and questions. You know, being winter, it's a great time to do some tech support for all your little gadgets. I know I'll be doing some this weekend. But also this weekend, we'll be watching the Super Bowl, which is tomorrow. And to learn about how you can watch the Super Bowl in a new way using virtual reality, we got a great guest here right on the top of the show. His name is Paulo Del Nablado, and he is the editor of Computer De- Dealer News. Paulo, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Andy. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm doing well. Uh, you wrote a great article in IT Business that I saw. It's really about how to take in the Super Bowl with the actually the first virtual reality Super Bowl. Tell our listeners what that's all about. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a brave new world out there. And, uh, you know, uh, virtual reality goggles from Samsung and, and others uh, are, are doing well. And this is just a new way to enjoy a sport that, uh, that you like or maybe just take in a new visual experience. And what Fox Sports has done, they partnered with a, um, a virtual reality uh, software developer named uh, Lightlike. And what they've done is they put in some specialty cameras inside a luxury box, like a corporate box that, uh, you know, maybe TELUS would have at BC Place to, to watch uh, games. And you would get that view from uh, your virtual reality glasses. And now... The one thing to uh, keep in mind if, uh, if you're going to download the app and, and uh, take in this experience is that it's not going to be in real time. It's going to be in near time, which means uh, they're going to have four plays per quarter that are going to be deemed the most exciting from Fox Sports, and they're going to upload those to, uh, to that app, and then you'll be watching those moments after they're done on your uh, virtual reality goggles. And why is that? Why can't it be live? Is it just it, we're not there from the, the tech point of view to make it a live broadcast on these virtual reality headsets? I think we're there, but it's too expensive. Uh, just uh, a few months ago during the college football season, they tried an experiment uh, at a college game versus with Oklahoma. Uh, same sort of point of view, you know, uh, uh, a VIP corporate box and uh, they had it behind a paywall, and it was only uh, they only got thirty-seven thousand subscribers to it, and um, so you can do the math on that. It's around twenty dollars uh, per um, per view, and um, it's just expensive to to get in there. The cameras are are are, uh, are 
are, are up there in price, and uh, and right now there's just not the demand in the marketplace to to make that happen. But it is coming. Now it's interesting. I was uh, reading on your article. If you want that same experience from the luxury corporate suite, I know StubHub is offering one ticket, but that's going to cost you eighteen thousand dollars. Or you could go on this VR route. And is it is it free? Is Fox offering this for free for yes. for the first time? Yes, it's absolutely free. Uh, it's it's a trial thing, and you know it's funny because every time the Patriots are in the Super Bowl, they seem to Fox anyway seems to do these these experiments. Uh, the first time they were in the Super Bowl in 2001, uh, when they played the Rams, uh, it was the first HD Super Bowl. And then I think the last time when they lost to the Giants, the second time around, they they had the first one in 4K. Uh, the the HD Super Bowl first did go really well, but the 4K one did well. So these are just sort of like experiments. But what I envision down the road, uh, Andy, is that uh, this is going to be a new way to watch sporting events or maybe live concerts where, you know, if you want to get that mosh pit view or that front row view at a concert, instead of paying, uh, you know, uh, $150 to watch your favorite act or maybe paying $150 to watch uh, your favorite team play, you can do it in the comfort of your own home, put on the goggles, and uh, you would have like either a sideline view or be right front row center at a concert. Uh, and it's also an, uh, another way for uh, these uh, sports leagues and, and uh, concert promoters to add extra revenue to, to their bottom line. So uh, I think it's a pretty exciting uh, new venture for Fox and the NFL. And um, I see this technology progressing further. You know, I agree with you. When people think of VR, they're, they're thinking about gaming, um, but it can do so much more. For this particular Super Bowl, what kind of VR headsets are we talking about? Because there's a lot of different ones on the market today. Yeah. Uh, now, Fox is suggesting that you go with the uh, Gear VR from Samsung. And, uh, and, I, and I say that because I think they have a, uh, a sponsorship um, partnership in place, so I think that's why they're pushing that. But if you go to any of these trade shows, they're giving out cardboard uh, VR sets that are free, and you can definitely watch it without a uh, without a goggle uh, on your on your phone or on a tablet. But the experience is not immersive, and that's the point that I want to make here: is that you get the 360 degree view. So, for example, if you ever try a VR headset and you do one of the first things that that always people download is the roller coaster, right? And when you get the immersive sense, you can look to your left and look to your right and see the people on the ride going down with you and get their experiences. So in this setting, right, you'll be in a VIP box, and you can see if, you know, the fan next to you, what he feels like. You know, maybe if the Falcons are ahead, he'll be happy, or if they're behind, maybe he won't be that happy. And that's what makes this kind of experience pretty neat. The one question I have, Paulo, and this is a very serious question, how are you going to eat chicken wings and drink beer if you have a VR headset on? How are you going to find that on the table? (laughs) That's pretty funny. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe they'll have a virtual reality app for eating uh, uh, alongside your your, uh, Super Bowl app. Uh, You know, the uh, the Avid is also going to be supplanting this with uh, an augmented reality app as well to show you uh, stats and uh, a view of the uh, the scoreboard as well. So, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe they'll do that. <laughs> That's a good question, Andy. 
Um, now, I understand that you know a lot of people don't have VR headsets, but as long as they have their phone, they can also still uh, experience this? Yeah, exactly. They can on their tablet or on their smartphone. But again, you know, you won't get that immersive 360 point of view. Now, the listeners out there that want to give this a try tomorrow, myself included, uh, yeah. wh- where do they go to, to get this app? Uh, FoxSports.com. Uh, you go, uh, well, my story has the link to it. Uh, on uh, Tech and Sports uh, on the IT Business page, itbusiness.ca. Um, maybe we can tweet that out uh, later on. But, the um, yeah, you have to go to foxsports.com and then go to their VR section, and it's right there. Paul, I want to thank you for coming on the show today to talk about this. If people want to get more information about you and your article, where do they go? Uh, itbusiness.ca and click on Tech and Sports uh, page, and uh, that's, where, uh, where we have all of our articles about technology and sports. And uh, also you can uh, go to computerdealernews.com. That's where I also talk about technology from a business point of view. That was Paulo Del Nablado. He's the editor of Computer, Daily, Computer Dealer News, talking about how you can take in the first virtual reality Super Bowl tomorrow. we got to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about Kickstarter opening up an office in Vancouver. We're going to learn all about that and what that means just for entrepreneurs who are trying to start businesses here in Canada. You're listening to Get Connected. We'll be back right after this. You're back with Get Connected. Andy Barrar here sitting in for Mike Agarbo, who is supposed to be here, but his flight from Toronto, which was supposed to arrive this morning, was a little bit delayed. So he is on his way and he should be here for the second half of the show. Mike, if you're listening... Run, Forrest, run. <laughs> Get down here. Uh, now, Up next, we're going to be talking about Kickstarter. They just opened up a Canadian office here in Vancouver. And to learn all about this, we have our great guest, Shane Digman, the technology reporter over at The Globe and Mail. Shane, thanks for joining us. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. So you wrote this great article about Kickstarter opening up uh, Van- uh, an office here in Vancouver. Let's just take a step back for the listeners there that aren't really familiar with Kickstarter. Just tell them what that's all about. Well, first of all, listener, if you've never heard of Kickstarter, what do you do? Do you not go on the Internet? Have you, have you never heard of anybody trying to raise money for anything? Because that's pretty much become the, the, vi- the verb, as it were, you know, Google for searching and Kickstarter for giving money to some stranger who wants to make something new. I mean, Kickstarter, it's, it's about eight years old now, and it really sort of took off uh, you know, maybe three or four years ago. started to see tech projects, including like uh, Canadian, one, Canadian ones like the Pebble Watch, you know, raise millions of dollars, and video games raise millions of dollars. Even uh, a potato salad competition once raised a couple hundred thousand dollars, I think. Um, and so it's just become a place where people go and they try to, you know, tell you what they want, they want to make in the world, whether it be a play or a book or a board game. Actually, one of the Kickstarter's big things is board games. And then people give them money. Um, but unlike some services, Kickstarter's pledges don't um, go to the person unless they meet their goal. And they're trying ever so carefully to make sure that the thing that you raise the money for eventually does get made. And there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff about that. Now, Shane, I know Kickstarter is based out in Brooklyn, New York. Why did they choose Vancouver to open up their first international office? It's kind of a cool story, and it, and it really, you know, it's, it's funny. You know, when I was writing this story, I started last week um, before Donald Trump issued an executive order that threw the world's 
uh, immigration system and a lot of tech companies sort of into disarray because and, and that does bear uh, on this story because this uh, company was pitched to me initially um, that they bought in Vancouver as a Canadian company but a quick look at it was like well I, yes that's true but these two gentlemen who uh, founded it are um, <clears throat> are from South Africa by way of Silicon Valley so there are these two South African guys who had done travel companies together uh, in like the digital stuff in South Africa. One guy came to Stanford to do his sort of masters and, and soak up all he could about the scene, and he brought his pal over to help him create this thing called Huzza, which was initially like kind of hilariously like a, a Bitcoin-oriented live stream, like you could tip people with Bitcoin on a live stream. Uh, it was all for musicians initially. It was like, hey. We wish, you know, we, it's harder for musicians to make money now. Maybe we can start getting people who are watching their stuff online to pay them directly. It quickly sort of became more of a service. They, they were part of an incubator in, in Silicon Valley where they're like, that sounds great, but you really need to let people decide what they want to do with this kind of technology. So that's what they did. And then uh, along the way, another Vancouver connection, um, Amanda Palmer was using the service. And uh, she was really a, uh, an early, uh, she, a Vancouver musician, I should say. She was really in sort of, uh, you know, an, an early user of it. And when they decided that they were going to try to stay in uh, North America and make this thing work, they ended up hooking up with the startup visa program through the uh, incubator Highline, which is another, used to be, I think, like Extreme Ventures and stuff like that. Like, But it's sort of, it's been around for a while, and they've done a number of these startup visa companies, brought them to Canada or kept them in Canada in the past, and these guys were just another example. So, long, long story preamble there. But eventually, what happened was <clears throat> another Amanda Palmer show, and Kickstarter's co-founder Perry Chen was sitting in the audience, and she mentioned, "I'm live streaming this um, on Huzza. You should check Huzza out." And that's exactly what he did, and he told his co-founder um, to, uh, to to get to sign up and create an account and. They kind of freaked out when uh, the CEO of Kickstarter added an account on Huzza, and then they started talking. And last November, uh, Kickstarter started using Huzza on their site, and I think it wasn't too long after that that they uh, decided maybe we should just buy these guys. They're only two dudes, and it's a pretty cool, cool uh, piece of technology. You gotta love those kind of stories, Shane. Where you know it's just a chance event that one of the co-founders of Kickstarter just happens to be at this concert, and Amanda Palmer, the the artist, just happens to be using Huzza at that time. And next thing you know, the, uh, Kickstarter is using Huzza, and now they are basically uh, purchasing Huzza and then moving into their offices in Vancouver. It's just a completely chance event. But um, you know, with this current immigration with Donald Trump, you know, are, are you do we see more and more tech companies in Silicon Valley? startups wanting to move into Canada to start their businesses? This is going to be, I think, a big question. You know, obviously, there's a lot of people who've been trying to figure this out. There have been companies who've been positioning themselves to smooth that transition. Um, there's already, obviously, lots of um, American, you know, sort of satellite offices in Canada for various levels. I was reminded that Bill Gates actually once complained about um, the H-1B visa program, which, you know, used to allow, I mean, I guess it currently still allows, you know, 65,000 visas a year in the U.S., and that's essentially for highly skilled foreign workers. And, but that was still, like, the lottery allowance wasn't enough for Microsoft, so they set up their office in, in Vancouver, and that was pretty much directly because the lottery system for visas wasn't good enough, and they needed another site nearby to, uh, to have more foreign workers for, for recruitment and so forth. So that was like, you know, that's quite a while going back, that system of having 
American sort of companies park international workers in Canada as a way to like increase the, the their ability to recruit overall. I mean, Kickstarter is interesting. If it weren't for this startup visa program, there wouldn't be, you know, they're going to hire five people and they've opened this off in Vancouver. They, they None of that would happen. Like, that would, if this technology existed, it would exist in Silicon Valley and it wouldn't be part of Canada. So, you know, you can say that this program, which is not a super high volume program, like maybe, maybe a 170 people or so have come to Canada on it in the last, like, three years. But the idea that this brings in the kind of entrepreneurs and the kind of entrepreneurial activity that we want to have in our system in our system and in our and in our country, that can't be argued with as far as I can see. So uh, whether or not, you know, this means that the government raises the ability of, of sort of the startups to, to make it easier to have more come in, whether this means they want to start looking at their own sort of equivalent to the H-1B visa, which, you know, there's there's questions about whether that's good enough. There's, you know, this question of bringing in talent has been sort of bubbling away for like the last year or so among startup circles, tech circles. So this uh, sort of, you know, uh, closing of the door, at least somewhat in, in the U.S., has raised maybe the volume on that conversation. Well, I definitely think a lot of people are going to be considering uh, moving their startup businesses into Canada, which is really good news for, you know, the Canadian economy. I'll, Shane, I want to thank you for uh, coming on to the show. If people want to follow you, where do they go? I'm at Shane Dingman on uh, Twitter. That was Shane Dingman. He's a technology reporter over at the Global Mail talking about Kickstarter opening up an office here in Vancouver. We're going to have to take a break. Looks like Mike Agarbo has made it into the studio. So when we come back, Mike Agarbo and I will be taking your calls. You listen to Get Connected. and We'll be back right after this. You are back with Get Connected. It's Mike Agarbo. I'm here in studio with Andy Barrar. I finally made it. We've got uh, Christina here in studio as well. She'll be coming on uh, shortly with App of the Week. What a journey this morning, Andy. So did you listen to the show as you were I making it? I did. I yeah. was using the uh, the Chorus radio app. Yeah. Uh, so it comes in crystal clear. I was sitting on the plane and then the train and finally uh, made my way down here. Yeah, I had to sit in the big seat, man. It was a it's Yeah, it's a big responsibility. Yeah, and- you did, yeah, yeah. you did great. Thanks. <laughs> uh, we want to open up the phone lines now, take some of your tech calls and questions. Uh, the numbers, write these down, 604-280-9898. And if you're phoning anywhere long distance, toll-free here in North America, one 399 I actually have a tech question for you. Yes. Uh, it's something I'm trying to do this weekend. I have a laptop. The screen's broken, yeah. so I can't see anything on the screen. Now, you can attach a second monitor to it, yeah. but the thing is, when you boot it up, will it work? Like, will it automatically use the second monitor? Because like, usually Some, you have to go in the settings and yeah, then... sometimes. So on your function keys, there's like little symbols. Yeah. Um, one of them, it, depending on the laptop, um, could be the toggle switch for the second screen if it doesn't boot up. Okay, yeah. Um, I was I'm like, I had to set aside a couple of hours to see if I can figure this out. It's a nice laptop. It can work. I can turn it into just basically like a desktop computer, but I got to get that second monitor to work. And I was going to like hit the forms while I was watching the Super Bowl, you know, try to. Is it an older one? Uh, it's not too old. Yeah. No, it's uh, probably about a couple of years old, but uh, the, mo- the screen just died. And so I'm trying to bring it back to life because you should try some of these uh, smaller repair shops. Uh, yeah, these mom and pop ones. Uh, yeah. A lot of times they can fix it. I try to do the the whole Fonzie uh, way where you kind of like hit it. Yeah, with your... that's what I do. <laughs> it's it, it's I, a fifty fifty shot. Yeah, right? it didn't work. No. <laughs> you made it worse. Yeah, right? I did. 
604-280-9898. Anywhere in North America, the toll-free line, 1-877-399-9898. We're live on here on Get Connected, taking your calls and questions. We've got Bob out in Chilliwack. Hey, Bob. Yeah. Hi. Hi. About six weeks ago, you were demonstrating some uh, electronic devices on Global News Hour. Okay. One of them was a very elaborate remote control that apparently you, the way you described it, you just had to point it at the device and it would recognize it. Yes, I, I know exactly which one that is. Unfortunately, it's not quite here yet. It's something that we saw down in the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. They were demoing this next generation of uh, smart remotes. Uh, I believe it was called the Smart Remote uh, by, believe it or not, Seven Hugs Technology. Seven Hugs? Seven Hugs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know those guys. Do you? I do. I do. We've, we've reviewed some of their um, gadgets. Weren't they the ones that made the stroller? The stroller that was... Uh, oh, no, that was Four Moms. That was Sorry. Four Moms. Seven Hugs, Four Moms, you know. <laughs> Can't blame you for getting that mixed up. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting concept. I think they're raising money for it uh, right now, and, and hopefully we'll see something uh, this year. But essentially, it's uh, a little remote. It's not too big, which I like, and it's a full touch screen. And you basically program all the devices that you have in your home into this thing through a, a web interface. And then uh, you set up uh, three sensors in your house. And between the sensors and uh, some of the electronics in the remote, it knows where it is and what you're pointing at. So you don't have to switch anything on the screen, on the touchscreen. You simply point it at your TV, and it knows that you want to watch TV. You point it at your stereo. It knows then to change the interface because you're going to listen to music. And, you know, there have been universal remote controls out for a long time. We've tried the ones from over at Logitech. It's not easy, though, to set that up. I know you've gone to, like, your parents' house and spent hours trying to... You know what it is? Um, I love them. The Harmony remotes are fantastic. Yeah. You just you basically just, through the web interface, you know, put all the different things you have in it. Uh, but it, what happens sometimes, though, when uh, it has to turn on a few things at a time. You know, if you want to watch TV, it's going to turn on the cable box and the TV and, yeah. you know, whatever else. And sometimes they just don't all align properly, and then things go go crazy. And that's when you get calls. and That's when I get the making calls. Making the house calls. Yeah, right? my TV won't work anymore, <laughs> essentially. But you know what? I mean, for 90% of the time, it works pretty well. So uh, I'm looking forward to the, the day when all of these things have kind of a universal standard and they all kind of just work together. Do you remember that universal remote control we featured a couple of years ago with the huge buttons on it? Oh, the, the one with yeah. the Wow, that was a big hit because we, I, we, I, we showed that on Global and we got so many emails and calls because it was like a gigantic controller that had these massive buttons on it. So if you were of heart of uh, sight, it was like the perfect controller. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. I think it was called Big Button Controller. <laughs> but you know what? Even for those who aren't, like, I love that because a lot of times when you're watching TV, you know, you're in the dark. Yes. And so this was just so easy to see you know, the, the buttons. And push the but, you know, you, if you look at controllers, a lot of them are just going touchscreen now, too, because we're so used to using our smartphones. Even our smartphones, actually, if it has an IR, you can turn it into a revert, uh, universal remote yes. and control various devices. But a lot of people don't take advantage of I don't even know if the manufacturers are putting that feature anymore. Well, you know what? You know, for Roku, for example, yes. uh, you know, the little smart TV boxes, they've actually got Roku TVs now as well. Uh, you can download the Roku app and control everything through that, yeah. which is kind of cool. It is cool. Six zero four two eight zero nine eight nine eight. We're taking your calls today here on Get Connected. We'll take another one before the break. Hey, David. Good morning. Good morning. What can we oh, do I'm for? Right. What can we I'm do right. for you? 
Oh, uh, two questions. Well, the first one is uh, in a battery on a, in an iPhone, you only get one battery. Yes. Why don't they have it so you get two batteries so you can put one on a charger while you're using the other one? That is a great question because they want you just to have the one battery. <laughs> they don't want you to be able to, I guess, take it apart, essentially. They've gone with that design from the beginning. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, Android phone manufacturers do allow you to take the, the battery out and, and switch it up. But you can buy those external USB battery packs. Uh, you know, I carry one in my uh, my laptop bag. And, you know, you can get small ones now that can fit in your pocket. You too. got one that's your wallet now. Yes, I have a, a wallet, believe it or not, uh, David. It's from Nomad. You've got to check these guys out online. Leather wallet. Uh, they got a couple different sizes, and it's got a, uh, a USB battery charger in it that I can just then plug into my iPhone if I'm out of, out of juice. Well, uh, and I have another question. I've got a standard iPhone or smartphone, yeah. and uh, I want to know, I have a very small screen. Yes. And is there something that I can plug that into a monitor so I can watch it on a large screen? Yeah, so there's a number of different ways to do that. If you've got an iPhone, for example, uh, you can get a little adapter from London Drugs uh, that will allow you to plug one end into your iPhone, uh, and then the other end uh, has an HDMI uh, output. Uh, an HDMI, pretty well, most monitors and TVs have that uh, input now, so you just run a cable uh, from your iPhone directly to your TV or monitor, and uh, you're good to go. Another way, if uh, you want to go the wireless route, is get something like an Apple TV. You plug the Apple TV little box uh, into your TV or monitor, and then uh, through the app, you can actually send all your content wirelessly, whether that's the screen or if you want to watch videos or anything like that. Yeah, and it's a great time if you, uh, say you take a lot of photos or videos on your iPhone and then you have the family over and you want to show it without having everyone hunched over your shoulders, Yes, you can push it onto the big screen TV. As long as your TV is made from 2006 onwards, it should have HDMI. That's when they made it the standard. So um, it's a it's an easy way to share the content that's on your phone without having to move it onto your computer and then onto your TV. So definitely go to to like a London Drugs and see with the different kind of options, whether you go Apple TV or the HDMI route. Yeah, the London Drugs guys will be fantastic. The easiest way is just that little adapter thing. Uh, but if you want to go the wireless way, Apple TV. 604-280-9898 is the phone lines. We're open line here on Get Connected, taking your tech calls. We'll take more calls after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here. Coming up in a bit, uh, we'll be talking with Christina with her App of the Week pick. Uh, phone line again, 604-280-9898, and toll-free anywhere in North America, 1-877-399-9898. Uh, a lot of tech news stories this week uh, as well, Andy. Snapchat is uh, filing for a $3 billion IPO. They're going to go public. $3 billion for this little app. Okay, let's just put this in perspective. Snapchat was founded in 2011, okay? It's six years old. You know what the market valuation of Snapchat is today? $25 billion. Like, what are we doing, Mike? <laughs> Seriously. And, and you know how it all started? Snapchat really started by these like, university guys at Stanford, and they made it to help people sex, do sexting, over, uh, you know, have a picture that disappears so you don't feel uh, embarrassed. And it was just something for the kids to try. When they went live, it, was, it originally was called Pickaboo. And that's why they have that little ghost, because yeah. the boo was the ghost. Um, when it came out, it just became a smash hit. And they didn't anticipate that it would be that popular. And the three co- there was three co-founders. And what one of them overheard the other two talk about taking him out. 
about like you know pushing him aside once it got big because you know when money comes in yeah people change things, things change fast. so what he did is he archived emails text messages he kept everything so that he because he, he was the one that actually came up with the design of the ghost and everything yeah and and it was part of the idea so he kept everything and the thing about Snapchat, and this is cool that they're going to IPO, is that it's been a really secretive company. We don't really know the inner workings of it. But what we do know is that co-founder, the third guy, when he got pushed out, because he had all that evidence, he managed a lawsuit and he got about $138 million um, out of there to, to basically walk away. But now that they're public, we're going to find all their financial details and their strategy moving forward because they're going to try to attract advertisers. You know, Twitter's doing it. Facebook's doing it. So I'm really interested to look at the inner workings of Snapchat and how they anticipate to make money in the future. Well, it looks like they're uh, doing quite well. They've got 158 million daily active users, which is... Did you hear the latest Facebook updates for their monthly? Yes. 1.86 billion active users worldwide. Just to give you perspective, in 1917... We had 1.86 billion people on Earth. So now, <laughs> 100 years later, that many people are just on Facebook a month, which is staggering. That's like one out of every six people are just going on Facebook. I'm, I'm having a hard time uh, fathoming that. And, and Snapchat, 8 billion snaps a day. That's a lot of content. And it, all of it disappears. That's why I can't get it. I can't figure this out. You put all that effort to create this content and then it just, poof, it's gone. <laughs> it disappears. Well, we'll see if they make money. I know a lot of uh, guys are hot after them. Instagram, owned by Facebook, is uh, copying a lot of yeah. their features. So uh, it'll be an interesting few years to see if Snapchat can uh, keep the momentum going. Well, yeah, if you look at Twitter, you know, Twitter's still struggling to find ways to make money. And the question is, can Snapchat do it? Or will there be another social network in the future that will take become the next Snapchat? Got a call here from John in Nanaimo. Hey, John. Hi. Hi. Um, I listen to your station through your app, um, w- w- through my smartphone, and exactly every 20 minutes I lose it, and it's not, I lose the signal, I don't lose the internet, internet signal, but I have to press, press the power button on my phone to bring the screen back, and then unlock it, and as soon as I unlock it, it's back. Your voice, is, the station is back, but every 20 minutes I have to do that, and I'd have my, phone, my, my sleep mode set to five minutes. Yeah. So, so it's not the sleep I mean, mode that's I, killing you. I, I know another guy who does the same thing. He runs his menu in his store through a big screen TV through his laptop, and he says every 20 minutes he has to go down and jiggle his finger over the mouse pad or whatever to bring it to bring it back. So what's doing that? That's a great question. Uh, I use the app all the time uh, when I'm uh, you know taking the train in or or, or driving in. Uh, I don't have that issue, but uh, I'm wondering if it is some sort of power. Uh, saving uh, feature of of the phone and in his uh, friend's case the uh, the laptop because there's a few different settings when it comes to power saving and uh, uh, you know the screen shutting off my suggestion is just to try to isolate what the issue is it is it the app is it the phone try another app that is streaming either music or, or talk radio and see if that times out after 20 minutes if it does then you know it's the phone there's some type of hibernation or like you say mike uh, a battery conserving mode um, that is is taking effect that is why you have to keep touching it and putting it on that's what it sounds like to me it's something in the phone and not the app itself but to isolate it try another app for 20 minutes and see if it does time out yeah you can uh, download like a soundcloud soundcloud i'm wondering uh, if uh, he even listens live through the cknw website 
Yes. For example, because I've got a listen live feature there. Yes. As well. Yeah. I, I do that sometimes too. If I'm just, you know, on the website, just press the button live and then you can listen to the show. And even if you turn your screen off, it still plays in the background. Yeah. So it's all, you know, when you have these tech issues, it's all about trying to isolate uh, what is the problem and what isn't. So those were some great suggestions, Andy. When we come back, we have a lot more tech talk and uh, Christina will be coming up as well with her app of the week. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected. It's that time of the week. We've got Christina Stoyanova, who has uh, braved the snow and wind and cold to come down to the studio. Thanks for uh, joining us. Thank you for having me. It was uh, it was very onerous this morning. I called a taxi. It took five whole minutes to get here. It was awful. Yeah, that's pretty. That's, <laughs> that's pretty rough. <laughs> Hashtag first world problem. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag the struggle is real. Uh, app. What do you got for us? I have an app to help you do your homework. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> you get lots of that, right? Well, I've got uh, you know a few teenagers that could use some help getting their homework done. Yes, and have you ever tried to help them with their homework? Uh, you know what? Some some stuff, yeah, but I can't I can't do the math anymore. It's uh, yeah, this it's like is rocket the thing. science. Yeah, it's like you don't use it anymore. If someone puts an algebra problem in front of me, I don't know. I'm good, that I'm going to succeed at that. Yeah. Yeah. And so how does this help you? Uh, so the app is called Socratic. Socratic, like Socrates? Yes. Yes. Um, and so it actually uses artificial intelligence. So they actually taught these computers um, math and other subjects from scratch. So they would start f- with, for example, algebra and work towards the more complicated subjects right now. In fact, they're working on calculus. Um, But they're partnering with teachers as well. So they've classified these problems and the skills needed to solve them. Um, And so you can take a picture of a math problem and it will do its thing and figure out what skills you need to solve that problem and apply them and show you those skills and give you the answer. Do you remember when we were young, Andy, and we had math problem? And we didn't get it. Yeah. And then you had to like figure it out. Yeah. And we couldn't. And we just got it wrong. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, in my case, my mom was a math, math whiz. Really? Uh, so she always helped me with those. But she would get so frustrated because she was like, I don't understand how you don't get this. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty easy <laughs> for me anyway. So this thing will actually help solve it and show you the steps on what you need to do. Exactly. Um, it's... A step above. So a lot of kids now get the answers in the back of the textbook. Yes. And you can sort of work backwards from that. But this will actually show you the steps as well as the answer, which I think um, is a really cool feature. I'm, you know, time and time again, I feel gypped as a kid now. You know, back in the day, I had to learn all the stuff the hard way. Yes. Now they can just take a picture with their smartphone and the computer will tell them how to do it. Yeah, I was actually reading an article about like how the kids in the 80s, how they were like that generation that saw the internet, but also had to do like the old school. Like you go to the library, you had to like figure out the, through the yeah. indexes. Yeah. And kids don't know about that anymore. No. no. It was not easy to find a book. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard. Now they don't do that at all. They don't books. find books. <laughs> well, on that note, that's all the time we have left. I want to thank Andy and Christina and uh, Chris uh, for helping make the show happen today. Back next.